Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on self What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Self Worst. I'm Brad Pearson. Hope you're doing all right. Hope you're maintaining. Hope you're staying on all your stuff and you know, living your life. Doing pretty good. Uh, we have recovered from COVID and uh, feeling okay. Doesn't seem to be any long-term effects. Feels like I made a full recovery. I just did a workout. Oh, quick workout. Because I got some shit to do this morning. It's morning. And uh, I still got to put this episode out today. And I still got to do a Zoom therapy. Uh, actually, in a few minutes. So I'm going to be as quick as I can. Um, but it, we're doing okay. Did did a little bit of kettlebells. And uh, felt pretty good. Was really worried that I was going to, you know, get winded or be weak. Or, you know, there's some scary shit. I think people are still kind of treating this thing like, ah, oh, it's the flu. You're just going to get it once or twice a year. Eh, I don't know if that's the best approach. Seems like there's some, like, risk of organ damage. Lungs and kidneys and brain and shit. I don't think I want that. I don't know if that's the best uh, thing to do, but... Only so much I can do about that shit, huh? We talk about that a lot on this episode. Today I'm talking to Darren Keene. He's a Lincoln-based, Lincoln-Nebraska-based musician. I've known him for a long time, but just sort of peripherally. Uh, He was in a band with my second cousin when they were in, like, high school. I've just always kind of been aware of him. Um... But we, we never really talked at length until now. Which is often the case with my guests. It's like, I always thought you were cool, but I'm, you know, a bit of an introverted person. And I don't uh, walk up and talk to people about deep shit. It's, I guess, not really a normal thing to do. It's like, hey, uh, let's talk about our deepest insecurities. Anyway, now we do. And uh, it was a good talk. My man understood the assignment. He crushed it. He really threw the heat today. Or on this episode, we recorded it like a week or two ago. And uh, it was great. It was great to kind of catch up with him and get to know him a little bit better. And uh, I cannot overstate what a uh, just a, a colossal uh, figure. Uh, what a crazy kinetic performer he was back in the day. I, I mean, I, I guess maybe he still is. I don't know if he like does all this crazy stage antics anymore. Hope to see him soon performing, and we'll see. But uh, back in the day, oh my god, it's, it was it was crazy. I'd never seen anything like it. We're gonna talk about all that though. It's just just know that uh, it is. I'm speaking from experience. It is really hard to be a big weird guy. Growing up in the Midwest. People are gonna... Not like that. They don't like people who stand out. They don't like people who are flamboyant in any way. Performance-wise, they're gonna think you're gay. They're gonna try and beat your ass. It's not fun. And he was very brave about it. And he was just like... Let's just do this shit. So I always had a lot of respect. 
And it's cool to see that he's, uh, he's doing better. He's doing well these days. Happy for the man. This was a fun talk. We talk a lot about radical acceptance. Stay tuned for that. That's a big thing I've been on lately. Um, you know, just resisting the urge to control everything. You can't control everything. Look what's going on in the world. Shitty COVID response and climate change disasters and mass shootings. You can really only do so much, my friend. You can barely control yourself. That's hard enough. That's a full-time job right there. Just controlling your own thoughts and behaviors. Oof. That takes a long time to figure out how to even do that. And once you do, you're going to be a lot better at affecting change. If you're actually a, a, a well-centered person who treats people with kindness and respect, and you're conscious and you don't react, you respond. People are going to listen to you more. And your circle of influence might grow. And people might be like, you know what? He's always nice to me. They're always nice to me. He, she, they are always nice to me. And maybe they're, maybe they're right about this climate change thing. Maybe, maybe I'll listen to them a little bit more about the points they're making about guns and trans people or whatever it is we disagree with about on Facebook. But you're not going to do it by yelling at people on social media. And I say this as somebody who likes to yell at people on social media and I'm trying to stop. It's hard to stop. Because, you know, you're just scrolling through socials and you, you're looking for your little dopamine hit and then all of a sudden somebody comes along with a bad take, something that's upsetting, sets off your monkey brain, sets off your lizard brain, you get the f fight or flight response, you're like, Ugh! I want to fight this person. And so you say some shit and it feels good for a second, but it doesn't, it's not going to help. They're not going to stop. They're not going to change. They're just going to dig down harder. They're going to resent you. You don't want that. And you're not going to, you're not going to win over the influence of the powers that be people who actually have control, who people who actually have the reins. Ted Cruz and Kristen Cinema and Joe Biden and Joe Manchin and uh, Mitch McConnell, they don't give a fuck about you or what you think or how you vote. Because you're just a couple of people. They don't care. They're going to keep doing what they're doing. But what they do fear is a united working class. The people who vote and the people who work and get shit done in this country if we're all on the same page and we're all like hey we're gonna not do what you want us to do unless you do what we want you to do then they're gonna get scared but you're not gonna get everybody on your side because they said some shit that you don't like and you yelled at them on Facebook See, that's the point I'm making I don't know why I'm making that point because we kind of make this point later Maybe I'm being redundant. That's just what I'm thinking about right now. I look, it's hot in here. I got the air conditioner on. I just took a shower. 
but I'm still kind of sweating. You know those kind of days? You get out of the shower and you towel off and then you're kind of wet again. You're like, well, what the fuck? Am I an amphibian? I got the air conditioner on and I'm sorry if it has a negative effect on the sound, but I got to have the air on. What do you want me to do? Be slightly uncomfortable for the sake of audio quality? I don't think so. No, I'm not getting paid for this. Patreon.com slash self-worst. Kicking as little as a dollar a month and maybe one day I'll rent out a studio that's climate controlled and has a quieter air conditioner. And not just a window unit that goes... I don't know. Anyway. That's about all I wanted to say. I'm, I'm a little all over the place. Maybe I do have COVID brain damage. I feel, I feel a little loopy, but I think that's just because I, I, I did a workout. It's morning. I'm gathering my thoughts. I'm still kind of sweating. Maybe I'm sweating from the workout still. I don't know. Sweating post-shower is a bummer. Anyway... This is Brad Pearson, your moist boy, coming at you with another episode. Let's go to the interview with another, I assume, pretty moist, sweaty boy. We're both, we're two big, moist, sweaty boys. We're going to talk. This is the Darren Keen episode. Let's talk to Darren Keen. It's, it's been, I don't know how long, like I, I must have left Nebraska in, uh, what, 2005 or six or something like that yeah um, a long time ago it's it's been a minute there's a whole fucking lifetime and um so i guess we'll we'll get to all of that and we'll kind of fill in you know where where you've been at since but i thought mm-hmm. it would be cool um to kind of like since we you know we never really talked much we were just sort of in the same sort of social circle i knew a lot of like lincoln nebraska musicians jim schroeder andy kenicky teal gardner all those sweethearts blah 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 um and and you were a figure you know you were a musician in in lincoln a big figure in the uh lincoln music scene and um so i thought i would just sort of share like what my perspective uh, of it was and um and we'll kind of, and then, and then we'll get your story. All right. Sounds good. So like what I remember about you, Darren, was that, um, you were like this larger than life, you know, kind of almost local celebrity. You were really funny, big, magnanimous, you know, just like, uh, crazy ginger giants, insane stage presence, hopping off a stage, like running up to people rolling around on the like just like really like a level of performance that i hadn't seen from anybody in especially in like the nebraska indie music scene because everybody was all like post-rock and shoegazy and like it was it was all very like subdued and like uh there wasn't a whole lot in the way of like really bombastic performers so i was like that's awesome um but also um you know, I mean, I don't know. You're you're from Lincoln. You still live there, right? I'm back in Lincoln. You're right back now, in yeah. Lincoln. You you did mo- live out to, in New York for a minute, but we'll we'll talk about mm-hmm. that later. Um, but you know, you know what the vibe is there, and it's like, it's a small town, and so like, there's like rumors and shit. Like people, I don't know. Uh, word gets out about people, so like I would hear stories, you know, through the grapevine of like, yeah, Darren like was uh 
like freaking out before we went on stage and had this like crazy like uh, stage fright episode or like Darren like mm-hmm. wouldn't get out of bed for two weeks and like won't answer his phone and we don't know where he is and like stuff like that. So it was like mm. it was always stuff like that too, you know, where I was just like, oh, so there's like another element to this like really bright, gregarious, magnanimous performer guy, but mm-hmm. I never really got to know him. So I'm hoping to get mm-hmm. to know you now. Um, Great. So well, let's let's uh, sort of pick up there. All right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, those were some fun times. I'm certain I never spent two weeks in bed or ignored my phone, but uh, I definitely have had some freakouts, especially I used to really uh, bathe myself in psychedelic drugs before and during my performances. And so there were a couple, I mean, and I, and I still do get massive stage fright and anxiety before I play, even when I'm doing just like chill DJ gigs or something. Um, I uh, like low key stuff just with, you know, uh, it's really important to me to play well and to present my my music well, and I I, I want I mean I want to I want to do well. Um, not 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 necessarily like you know, I don't mean like I want to become successful or famous. I just mean like I want Sorry. I want to put on a good show. Hi, doggy. And uh, and so uh, I do I do get a lot of stage fright and anxiety. Um, yeah, always have, probably always will. So like yeah, even even to this day, it's like it's a thing. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, even I've done I've done like over two thousand shows now in my life, and I mean, even just playing like a local wow. gig, I'm still like real anxious before I play, and like real. The last hour before I play is like uh, such a um, before I hit the stage is like just complete anxiety. I'm just like I probably check my phone every forty five seconds to see if it's an hour has passed yet. Right. Uh, because I'm just like, all right, is it nine yet? Is it nine or whatever time, you know, just checking my phone like crazy and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so was that, um, I mean, I know that, you know, from you telling your story on other shows, um, you know, you've had substance issues and yeah, was yeah. that a big, um, was, were substances initially kind of like, uh, part of the, uh, I don't know, alleviating of the anxiety or was it more just like, Hey, this is part of the, this is part of the rock star thing. This is part of the fun. It's so funny. I was just talking about this whole phenomenon recently. Uh, it really deeply it with, uh, with a person I'm really close with who's also sober. And, uh, it's like, I mean, I didn't drink until I was 21 and I smoked weed in high school, but I never did hard drugs until after I drank or anything. I wasn't like, uh, I wasn't a cool, you know, like I never ran with people who drank or did drugs. I wasn't a cool kid. I was an indoor nerd dude uh, most of my life. And then uh, music came. And even on my first recordings, I did a song called Drug Free. And I was ripping on my buddy Ben Marker for doing because I knew he had done cocaine. And to me, it was like, oh, my God, a guy I know did cocaine. This is the craziest thing that's ever going to happen in my friend group. Uh, you know, flash forward all this time later and every single person I know is track cocaine, but you know, it's just like, okay. Anyway. So, uh, so anyway, so it's like, um, you know, at the time it was like this really big deal. And I bring up Ben also because he's someone else who, uh, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying has found his way to a really healthy sobriety. He's doing really awesome. I'm really happy for him. But anyway, so, uh, I, I called him out my name in the song too. It was, you, you should do less Coke like me, Ben. I'm an anti Coke machine man, which is pretty funny. Um, and, uh, yeah, but so, I mean, at first I think it was just like, I was just like, okay, I'm 21, I'm going to drink, you know? And like, it did alleviate 
it was more of a social, like um, alleviate social anxiety and stuff. It allowed me to talk yeah. to, to feel like I could talk to women and, and my peers and the people I was playing shows with who I perceived to be a lot cooler than me. But um, and 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 what's funny is I definitely feel like my my journey was like um, with drugs and alcohol. A lot of it had to do with like lamp. At first, it began as like I was lampooning these rock star excesses. So I would like. I would think it was ironic and funny to like come out on stage and drink straight from a bottle of Jack Daniels because like that's what that's what the Rolling Stones did, and I'm just some computer dork from Nebraska. So it's funny to see me do the same thing, you know? Right. And like that was the and it just like with just like it's such a classic story, but you know everybody always says they're the exception. I thought I was the exception, of course. Then it's like then that just developed into me actually being this shitty parody of myself and turning into this actually shit-headed rock star wannabe piece of crap like the person the story you said about me not answering my phone or getting out of bed that although that i don't think that's necessarily true like you know just not being a good friend not being a good constructive con collaborative yeah. part of the community i just became totally self-absorbed I, I i became my own axel rose who i always use as the example of the parody parodyable rock star trope you know um yeah i became that you know and like uh for years for years and years and years i i uh I became a parody of what I, I became the thing that I thought I was making fun of. Um, and it was, and I didn't realize it. I was, I was so in it that I, I didn't realize that was what was going on. It was crazy. It was fucking crazy. And Lincoln is such a small scene. I imagine it's yeah. really hard to, uh, have a bad reputation or to build a, to, to tarnish a reputation and rebuild it. Once you have, you know, kind of tried to, Correct, yeah, you know, it's correct the error. It fucking sucks, dude. I mean, there are still. There, I have this buddy who almost every time I see him, I mean, we're friendly, but then he gets. We'll be at a show and he'll get fucked up and he'll like start in telling me all the ways I've disappointed him throughout the years. I have another buddy. He's a drummer in uh, here in Lincoln. He's in some pretty big bands, and he like blew me up one night and was like, "You're, you know, you. I used to look up to you. Now, you, and then you disappointed me, and blah, blah blah." And it's like. Yeah, I have to fucking still deal with that wreckage in my past, like all the time in the music community here. It doesn't matter. And then it's like for a while when I was starting to get sober, but going in and out and stuff, it's like, I, I look, that's all my fault. I'm not blaming anyone else. But those moments, oh, my God, they made it so hard. Like hearing yeah. hearing hearing people tell me that they've given up on me is like, oh, man, it makes you feel so irredeemable. And, and it's so tough, man. It was. It, yeah. Lincoln, Lincoln, Lincoln's pretty. I'm having a little moment in Lincoln right now for the better. People see I'm doing well with drugs and booze, but also my music is doing really good right now. Like I'm making good shit. I'm just in generally like because because of, I don't know, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but because I've been staying sober, I've been able to become a more functional part of the Lincoln music community. My local like honestly, I don't I, I tour and stuff all the time. So like I'm not obsessed with like dominating the scene in Lincoln. I, I don't really care that much. I like I like the Lincoln music scene. I love being a part of it, but but I mean it's not like my end goal where some people that's you know, and, that, and then this is fine, but like this, this is this is all they can aspire to, just because they have jobs and family right. or whatever. You know, they they they're just more like we did. They just want to play around town, and that's great, and that's awesome. And some of my favorite bands in the world are making music just in Lincoln, Nebraska, right now. So I'm, I don't mean to sound critical. Sure. So, but for me, it's just a little different because I'm still going on tours and doing that kind of stuff. And so it's like I'm I'm not as worried about like if like. Oh, like, you know, like getting on cool shows here or whatever, but, but it is getting better. It is starting to get a lot better because I'm able to be a more functioning, happy, helpful person in this, in the community. And people see that and respond to it, you know? Yeah. 
I mean, so you grew up, you know, as a, like you said, a nerdy computer mm-hmm. kid, uh, an indoor kid. And I think a lot yeah. of us, you know, in, in, and are in and around the, the music scene. I have not one speck of musical talent. So like I wasn't in, in the actual scene. I just knew people in bands and thought they were cool and wanted to hang out with them. Um, associate like yeah. uh, my, my associations with you are all through music. For sure, right. You know? Um, so, um, and art, but yeah, yeah but, um, but yeah, it's, there was, I think especially in our generation, there was sort of the, uh, the millennial generation saw the sort of vindication of the nerd, um, mm-hmm. saw yes, the yeah. nerd, this was, you know, it, it was like Rivers Cuomo. It was like all these like nerdy, scrawny D and D kids who were becoming rock stars and yeah. um now the world was ours and you know like everything like everything that was happening in indie music around that time uh kind of was just handing it to you know the the like sort of skinny indie kids and the um yeah. and so what was that like for you actually being a part of it um mm, yeah. and, and 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 just sort of like you know like cuz you know, with the story of, you know, like, uh, mental health and, and having the trajectory of sobriety and, and, and straightening your shit out, like that's, that's great. And that's the other side of it. But I feel like often the story with, um, substance issues and addiction kind of overlooks the first part, which is why people get into it in the first mm-hmm. place, which is that yeah. it's fun and crazy and like, yeah, and yeah. people miss it, you know? And yeah. You know, it's funny you said that because I've recently had a couple pleasant memories of good times I had while I was fucked up. And it wasn't because I was fucked up. They were good times. But it's like it's easy for me in, in sobriety to look back and say, oh, it was all it was a waking nightmare. But recently I was at the Replay Lounge in Lawrence, Kansas, one of my favorite venues in the world. And I just like thought back on some nice times I'd had there. And it wasn't like it was great drinking here, but I was drunk there and it was still fun. And, you know, so there are I know what you mean. There are these like times before it was a fucking nightmare you know that like uh happened um yeah you're describing a time in my career and a time in pop culture that is like my i mean the time the time in pop culture that you described is like my favorite time of my career or like the time i really got going and like it's i I just made a post the other day on my facebook saying that the empresario of spotify gave me a phone call to let me know that there was some music made after 2009 because my like Spotify and like the music I listen to really did is sort of right in that era that you're describing. When I think about the stuff I like, it's all I had never thought of it the way you described it, but all based around that turn of like the embracing of nerdiness and like um, you know, I mean, even things like because um, I think like new wave and and the goth stuff is sort of yeah. those are those are also yeah, like for sure yeah like, a little differently, but yeah, Robert Smith's and, a and, nerd I'm, and Mark Mothersbaugh's a nerd, but. Yes, perfect. Those are two perfect icons to, to, to kind of think of, like, as opposite ends of the same spectrum that I'm that I'm describing. And, like, and, um, and I, I mean, like, it takes a certain dorkiness to learn how to use a synthesizer, yeah. for example. And, it, and, then, and then what do you do with it? That's up to you. You can make new wave, you can make goth music, you can make industrial, you can make dance, you can make rave music. Uh, but so that era was an era where a lot of people... Uh, I'm thinking about bands like Health and the Meishi and the Faint and um, 
oh man, I don't know, a million others in that era, but that's LCD sound system. Mm -hmm. Um, These bands were exploring very nerdy, detail-oriented practices in their art that weren't just as, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, learning your guitar inside out, if you're someone like Luke Polipnik from Lincoln or like, uh, you know, like a guitar virtuoso like Delicate Steve, that's an amazing thing, and that's its own form of nerdiness. But like, um, but... You know, like these 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 bands were taking these very uh, kind of technology based dorky ideas and incorporating them into music that was entering the cultural zeitgeist at such a popular level, and they were ushered into these giant, you know, careers that I don't think any of us could have expected. Dan Deacon is another great, yeah. great, great example of this. Uh, and you know, me and Dan are still friends. I'm like, like um, I have a show coming up with Dan. I'm really excited about. Um, we're playing at Meow Wolf in Denver, which is a total fucking trip to me. But um, like, um, you know, this was such a plunge, and 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 so all of a sudden you have like Pitchfork Fest, which maybe before that had like hip kind of slacker bands, which I love all that. So I love like slackery music too. I, I and that's all a great scene too. Like the kind of dominating it, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have these like dudes on stage who seriously like the reason they're good musicians is because they took computer classes, and it be it just became a really different uh different world and um and i and i'll also say this too uh i'm not i mean hormones and sex stuff is massively uh driving when for it was massively driving for me and i think a lot of those people you're you're in your young 20s you're all learning to date you're all learning how to you know what you like and what you don't like done to your dick or vagina or butt or whatever you know you're figuring all that (laughs) out and like and uh, sexual exploration and sexual liberation is like such a big part of that. And for a guy like me, I lost my virginity a lot later in life than um, um, a lot of my peers. And like, not, I mean, yeah. And, uh, and you know, I mean, I wasn't like a guy who grew up like with the attention of a bunch of women. And all of a sudden I'm going on tour and like I'm having sex or sexual relations with women in the back of a tour van. And it's like, this is like, totally feeding into this idea that I'm this, this, this revolution I'm having in, internally of like becoming this rock star that I, that I used to think I was lampooning, you know, it's like, um, yeah. Uh, and, 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 and to think even now, I mean, like, you know, people throw themselves sexually at people like dorky people, Trent Reznor, St. Vincent, you know, yeah. um, these are, these are, these are, these are, these are people that people want to sleep with because of their talents and they're total dorks. So it's great. You know, um, but yeah, that was such a such an interesting revolutionary time, and a time that I think my music, no matter what, and my, my art and everything that I do, will always trace back to that era. Like I even now when I design visuals and stuff, I always use like I like use a lot of like screen capture because I like people to see hacked Photoshop in my art because it's like uh, like that's that goes back to that era. Like like don't torrenting Photoshop to make a flyer <laughs> for a show or like you know like. You know, just like the just that era of just like stealing software, um, sampling, uh, computers, software, everything, just kind of coming into the world of like cool rock and roll or whatever. Yeah. It, was, it was it was an interesting time. People, I think, talk a lot about the or focus maybe too much on the glamour aspect of being a musician, being a, a rock star, rap star, whatever you want to say. Like people, yeah, I'll use the example of like Kanye. Like people think of Kanye and they think, you know, like, oh, he was married to Kim Kardashian and he's got all these millions of dollars and like all these cars and all these clothes. And Mm -hmm. like they don't think of this 
extremely socially awkward young 20 something who yeah. you know was making five beats a day for three summers and you know Kanye was just the ultimate example was just, i think you nailed it like yeah. immersed himself in music and worked yes. his ass off and like yeah they don't think of that part of it they just want to see the like cool riches fame and fortune success story and not the um not the um the 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 dedication to a craft yeah, and not the I agree um, not the like just insane love and kind of isolation that that requires because you have to spend so much time fucking working well they wonder why he has public meltdowns and stuff it's like dude think about who he was in those days that you're describing the, I love the five beat a day era or like, like stories of Kanye and yeah. like you know and then that guy never thought he would be banging a Kardashian one day like yeah. that that was an impossible goal like at that point he was probably like I'd love it if I could sell a beat to Nas, you know? Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, that's like... A rapper I, who would... Yeah. I, I miss old Kanye so much, and, like, mm -hmm. that's what is so sad about what that level of success and yeah. stardom does to somebody, especially somebody uh, yes. who's very vulnerable and has some mental health issues. Well, I just I, watched I, the, um, I don't know if you've seen it yet. There's a, there's a Rick James documentary called bitchin. I think it's on Showtime. Nice. That's fucking nice. insane. And it goes like you, you see the whole trajectory of this really passionate kid from <clears throat> Buffalo who, um, just through a lot of bullshit doesn't get his, doesn't get, a chance he gets drafted and mm -hmm. has to flee to Canada and then has to spend some time in jail for dodging the draft. And like, he's just a passionate musician. And then he goes off the rails and he's a, a crack fiend and he's burning women with crack pipes and he's going to prison and, yeah. like, you know, just like really awful yeah. shit that he did no, later in yeah. life. And like all of his demons came out, but th that wouldn't have happened in a way if like, if the massive success hadn't gotten carried away at first, it's crazy. Yeah, that, that is that sounds awesome. By the way, I'm definitely going to watch that. Uh, Rick James is a total interesting person. He, him, and George Clinton have the same kind of interesting thing to me too, where crack cocaine fucking entered their life, and it's like immediately they just basically stopped making albums. Like it's so I, George Clinton. I saw him right before I left New York, and he's come out here once since then and played two. I didn't go, and I mean it's just so sad. It's like. Man, George Clinton is really cool, and like he's awesome on that um, "To Pimp a Butterfly" thing where he yeah. does one one song. But it's like, in general, it's like he really just stopped. You know, he like he j it's just like, well, I can just like do state fairs and dink around, and like that that'll be it for me now. And it's like, man, but like like then you have people like you know who keep pushing it their whole careers, and and until they you know. You know, and I and they're even in their later years, they're still making cool stuff. And like, I I would have thought if I, if I had been alive when Maggot Brain came out, I would have perceived George Clinton, or like when Super Freak came out, I would have perceived those two guys like these guys are gonna have long ass careers. These are really talented guys who are gonna keep going and keep going, you know. But they just like burn their brains out, or I don't know what they, you know, I don't know what they're why yeah. why that is. But they both definitely hit a, a wall of some of some kind. Um, but hey, I, 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 I love where we're going. And, but something else you said about Kanye reminded me of something that I wanted to touch on too that involves technology and early uh, drug use and stuff. So, like, this is so, this really, you really flash me back to this. But, um, and I, I, I wonder what, you, what you'll think about this. But, like, when, when, um, when, um, 
when I would like make videos and stuff for my band or like when I back in the day I made videos for my songs or like when I would record like I'd sit there and record and then like to like edit the to like bounce down a song or bounce down a video there'd be like 20 minutes or, or an hour two hours sometimes you'd have to wait for this to, this to digitally render and in that time it's like the most common thing I would do is throw on a Mr. Show DVD and smoke weed and get drunk and then like if i was doing several of these a day by the end of the day i've smoked a bunch of weed got all fucking hammered or whatever and i'm all fucked up and i wonder too like about like you know like as when you collaborate when when technology becomes part of your collaborative process that's cool but like it kind of like if the technology can't work as fast as the human mind sometimes it can be this frustrating um thing that you know the, the technology is lagging behind and so like i picture kanye like on his a, 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 apc you know, or MPC, like making making beats and stuff, and then he like finishes it and he gets bounced down, and he's all proud. He's like, "I got four more to do today, but it's gonna take an hour and a half for it to actually export to tape or whatever." And in the hour and a half, it's like, do I think he's gonna sit there and, uh, you know, read the Dharma, or is Kanye right. West gonna like snort a powder and jack off to some internet porn or whatever? You know, I don't know. It's just like I think that there's that sometimes even just that those like waiting periods and just like. It reminds me of the waiting before shows when you're just sitting around. I mean, you're in a lot of times with creativity and stuff, you're just like forced to wait, and it sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um, there's a period of just almost like restless leg syndrome that you have to kind of sit yeah. in. There's a discomfort where you're energized, but you can't do anything just yet, and that must be just uh, maddening. It's 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 torture. I was just replaying, literally right before you called, I was replaying Fallout New Vegas. I had saved it right at the end scene because I, w- I had done this crazy playthrough of it. I'm not a big gamer. I rarely play video games. And uh, the game froze up. And I felt so angry. I, I felt like I um, I can't describe it. I felt I felt so frustrated. I was like like visceral, like frustration, you know, like mm-hmm. I could I, I I was just livid and like. I could definitely see in the old days me being like, well, that's there. I'm going to go take a whole of whiskey or something. You know what I mean? Like, that'll calm that down or whatever. And it's like, man, for the frustration you can get, like, you know, with the, when your internet goes out or your phone isn't loading yeah. fast enough. It's just like these, these bleeps in technology. I mean, we still get them all the time when phone drop. I mean, phone dropouts don't really happen anymore. But, you know, like, uh, yeah, like when something won't load on your phone and you need it to or, you know, this something isn't coming down from the cloud or something. Oh, my God, you can just really lose yourself in those moments. And I think that's the cre- and, and And so I think this applies to everyone is, is kind of the other thing. It's like that's your creative mind having to wait for technology to catch up with you. And there is like nothing more frustrating than that probably in the world. Yeah. Did you um, have to deal with a lot of like technical issues on stage? Because I know a lot of the time when you were uh, when you were the show is the rainbow, it was just you and a discman. And like, so, yeah, are not exactly known for their reliability. (laughs) So this should be like the easiest setup in the world. I have a I I still do this to this day. I I still have a similar output. It's just I have a lot better sound card, essentially. But but uh, it's still a stereo quarter inch out. Quarter inch is just like what a guitar uses to plug into an Mm -hmm. amp. It's a extremely common cable that sound engineers everywhere use literally dozens of times every show it's a it's a very common cable but when i was touring this rainbow it was really the start of the idea of people using computers and even synthesizers a lot and and electronics on stage which is called electronics and and so what it is is my okay so this is going to get a little nerdy really quickly but uh so when you'd run a stereo out think of it like 
the le- one channel goes if you're listening to headphones one would go into your left ear and one would go to your right ear there's just like a stereo signal you know and so if you're in a pa system you pan one to the left speaker and one to the right speakers and then that's it and that's how it should sound well like sound sound engineers even though that's all they had to do is pan it left and right sound engineers are always like real skeptical of musicians <laughs> this is like a general thing that still happens to this day like sound engineers uh do not trust musicians and do not think that mu- even though they're musicians themselves um and so sound, sound a lot of sound engineers would want to turn my tracks be like well it's not going to sound good if everything's over on the left everything's on the right so i'll pan them both in the middle and just run it like that well I'm not sending a mono signal. I'm sending a stereo signal. So when you pan a stereo, when you take a stereo signal that's supposed to be panned left and right like that and pan them both center, what happens is a thing called phase cancellation. And what happens with phase cancellation is anything panned center, like your snare drum and kick drum, disappear. And and then as things uh, move from center towards the far left or far right of the sonic spectrum, they get perceived to be louder because of this phase cancellation. It totally fucks up your sound like crazy. And I remember, I mean, when I was first touring, having so many sound engineers not understand what phase cancellation was, and it still fucking happens to this day. It just, I just had a show at the zoo bar that's happened at, um, with a friend of mine. And uh, I mean, like, they, they, they think they're doing you a favor, but it's like, no, just do left, let one left and one right. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about, right. you know? And like, yeah, oh my God. Those, I mean, it, it, sounds, it sounds like so thin and tinny and there's no no kick no drums and it just fucks everything up and man oh my god those those moments are so frustrating and i i will say i had a bad reputation back in the day and deservedly so for yelling at sound engineers and freaking that's who i freaked out out a lot was sound sound people i was so mean i would smash microphones i would you know destroy i was i was a very very temperamental and it's exactly now that i'm thinking that's exactly what i described about playing fallout i mean i would just like lose my shit it wasn't really them it was just like why is technology failing me Ah, you know right and well it's um what i've learned you know through years of therapy uh is you know because i have a temper and Mm -hmm. um the thing that often gets me is if there's a trigger and then there's also some sort of urgency that's pushing it along behind it where it feels yeah. like you don't have time to sit and take a breath or step off the track <laughs> and kind of resettle. If you're on stage and your sound's fucking up, everybody's Boom. looking at you. You don't have yes. time to just like you, you there you're like right in the middle of this big frenetic performance mm-hmm. and to just like sort of stop and it like, and, and stand over like a, a soundboard or, or like, you know, like whatever, like yeah to, 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 to have to do that, it somatically takes you completely out of it. And you know, it, it, it's, it, it has to be just like insanely frustrating. So like, and, and I, yeah. like, part of me kind of gets it when performers, you know, have those like crazy diva moments because it's yeah. like, they're so in the zone and then they get taken out of it. And like, what are you supposed to do? Well, yeah. And for, for, I mean, all musicians want to sound good, and I understand that, but specifically for me with and other people who do electronic stuff, I mean, a big part of it is, like, I make, like, for with what I'm doing now with Problems, or especially the last years of shows are Rainbow, and, and then going into Touch People, like, my mixes, my, uh, but especially with Problems and, and the Darren Keane stuff right, that I was doing before this, it, it sounds good. Like, I've become a very good producer and mixer and engineer, and, like, 
I can make things that sound like, I guess what the word would be professional or whatever, you know, like I can, I can mix a kick drum so that it is going to go through a PA system and hit the PA system as hard as possible, almost as at the same level as someone like the faint or LCD sound system at this point in my career. I mean, they, those guys are so better and cooler than me, but I can get certain aspects of my sound to those professional levels. And that's a very cool thing to be able to do. And I enjoy it. So then it's like, if all of a sudden I know that I've delivered that, but something isn't hitting right, it can be like very, very frustrating. And you know, it's like, there isn't, it's not, yeah. Like what, what do you do besides lose your temper at the sound person? I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a very frustrating, uh, very frustrating thing. Um, what did that, I, 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 yeah. What did that feel like in the moment um, of just like, you you're on stage, something went wrong. Mm-hmm. You lost your shit at the sound engineer. You know that the the whole stage, the the whole audience is still kind of looking at you, and you're like, "Do I get them back on my side? Do I? Had, what do I like? You know, ha- I've had it both. Are you ways embarrassed? Where, like, what what happens? Yeah, I've had it both ways. Where it's like, this crowd comes with you on the journey because you're the cool musician, and you know, and they're like, "Yeah, fuck the song, guy, turn it up." You yeah. know, like a big show, like when I toured with Mind of Self Indulgence or something, or with the Fane or something like that, maybe. But then, like, I've, I definitely know I've had shows where I've, like, where in this, again, years and years and years ago, I feel like I have to say that. Sure. It's so embarrassing. But, like, you know, like where I yelled at a sound guy, I would never, ever, ever yell at a sound engineer now. It's so un, I could never, I never, I'm positive I could never get back to that place. But, but anyway, uh, but where I yelled at the sound engineer and the, everyone, it was like 10 people there and they're all like, yeah, that's our fucking friend, dude. Like, fuck you. You're not coming back to Valdosta, Georgia, buddy, or whatever. You right. know, like you just that guy's in a band that's way cooler than your fucking man, dude. Like, get the fuck out of here. So, you know, I've I've seen it all happen. I basically, but as far as how it felt, which is what you asked, I definitely know that like whenever I would do that, I, I mean, the memories are so blurry of doing it, but I know that instantly, my first thing would be like to look at the audience. And hope that they're not getting on my side. Like, look at them for support. Like, doesn't that guy suck at his job? And aren't I fucking cool, you know? And try to wrangle them along with me or whatever. So, uh, very manipulative. It, it becomes, you know, it just becomes a, yeah, some very manipulative type behavior that I would yeah. do. So, for you, Darren, when mm-hmm. did it all kind of, it, it, if it all, if it did happen in one moment, when did it? Mm-hmm all start to kind of come crashing down was it when you were out here in new york or was it uh some other time like what what was going on when when you were um, in your like i don't know rock bottom quote unquote well okay my i mean like real like well there have been two major times in my life i can think about that would define this like that would be good answers for this one is when i was married uh, but before I moved to New York, I stopped drinking, but I was still doing drugs. And I stopped drinking because my drinking had gotten so out of control that I was like, I lost a booking agent, a really, really extremely good booking agent mm-hmm. <laughs> over some drunk antics of mine and being unable to do my job properly. And and so then I quit drinking. And so that that's oh that's also that's not that exciting. I, it, it sounds like a way cooler story than it'd be. But it was basically just like I drank myself into not being a professional musician. So I lost some some swag. But then in New York, when I moved to New York, I just got um, real real addicted to cocaine, and uh, and that led me down some real bad paths. And that's where that's when I like had to like yeah that got so dark that like it was like I had to 
me and my wife split up. I moved home to Nebraska and went to rehab and really started like focusing on sobriety, making my sobriety become like the most important thing in my life. Like mm. I had, um, yeah, that's when my sobriety journey started was in New York. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you've had some, you know, and most people who recover do you've had some relapses and some retries. Mm -hmm. Um, what were the, you know, what are usually your triggers and how long can you kind of stay? Uh, cause what's interesting yeah. to me is like how long a person can kind of be like, eh, maybe I can, maybe I can actually do this this time and it won't be a problem. And then mm -hmm. like, it does you know, like how long that phase is and, and yeah. all that. So I went to rehab two years ago, and since then, um, as of right now, the taping of this podcast, just yesterday, I, I hit six months of continuous sobriety, which is the longest I've ever had. Thank you. I'm on a really different path now than I ever had been with it. But but to answer, so I was kind of in a pattern where I would I'd put together a few months, usually, and then I would kind of just go on one bender. Um, the bender might last a day. It might last three days. But it was never like, um, but, and then, and then, I mean, and then I would stop drinking again for a, at least a few weeks to a, another couple months. Uh, and then, and then I'd slip up again, but they, I, it was never a thing where for me, it was never an idea when I would slip up, I was never of the mindset like, Oh, I'm going to give some controlled drinking and drug use a try. That was never on my mind. Uh, I, and I, I, cause I don't want to drink socially. I, I, I don't enjoy those kind of interactions. And I know even if, even if I was capable of it, which I know I'm not, I'm just not, that that's not cool to me. Uh, that seems like a waste of money. Um, but, but what I drink, the way I like to drink is either behind the wheel of an automobile or home alone in a basement straight out of a bottle. I never drink beer or wine. I just drink liquor straight from a bottle. And this is like the reason I even say these words is because I think basically I drink suicidally. I drink to kill myself. I drink, uh, I drink. So that way time goes by. I, I like, I, Hey, I, I drank all that and I woke up and it was two days later. Now let's go see what I fucking ruined. Um, I, I don't, it's not, it's not like that anymore for me. It hasn't been, uh, of, a uh, social lubricant for many years. Um, so it's be it, it's it's just a symptom of extreme depression. One of the relapses, one of the bigger relapses I had in this time. Uh, I mean, I I don't like to blame anything on on anything. I I drink because I'm an alcoholic. There's no other reason I drink. But I will say the death of my father was pretty rough, and that was a time where I I went back out for a couple of days and got drunk on that. Um, but yeah, I. I've had one, one thing that I've really been meditating on that's been really, really helpful for me is the idea that I have to work as hard to stay sober as I did to get drunk. That, um, that's crucial because I used to go to, or to get fucked up in general, I used to go to such lengths to procure alcohol or drugs. Um, you know, I would walk, I, there's no, there's no place near where I live that sells booze. The closest thing is, uh, I don't know, a mile and a half away or something. And I would like, you know, walk there in the snow or the rain or whatever, you know, a 30 minute walk in the snow or rain, right. um, just to get booze or whatever. And, um, and 30 minute walk back, you know, and it's like, if I can do that, you know, if I, if I can do that to get drunk, then it's like, I can put the effort 
in to do things that will positively affect me to help me stay sober. Can, and that's been really, really helpful. Can you drive still or have you had your license revoked? I am or? not able to drive. So I've been touring a ton and I'm touring all via public transport and everything. Wow. It's, it's wild. It is fucking wild. Yeah. On the greyhounds and shit? Greyhounds, planes. And I would, God, I would, I would suck a dick on the Golden Gate Bridge <laughs> if it meant that they would improve the Amtrak service in America. I oh know, my right? God. Oh, I love touring Europe by train. I love the trains in Europe. And oh my God, I, oh, I, do you ever, I love the you ever, here. Have you seen that? Have you seen that speculative map of like high speed rail yes. system in <laughs> yes. America? You ever just look at that thing and just cry and just, oh, dude. And just think about oh. like all the money that we're spending on the military and the police. <laughs> and you're just like, we're never going to have it. We're never going to have you it. You want to talk about a jobs creating project in yeah. America, fucking build the railway, you know, like more first off the jobs making it and then jobs staffing it and everything. Yeah. Oh my God. Plus, you know, the rail stations are job creators. Uh, the the little economic areas around rail stations is many airports. Oh, my God. It'd be yeah. amazing. I mean, they've all got to have uh, a Cinnabon and shit, you know? So, like, exactly, yeah. That's going to staff a lot of people. Oh, um, my God. I, 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 yeah, so I love trains. I, 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 I love touring by train. And so, I, but yeah, so anyway, I've been doing public transport tours, which is bonkers. Uh, yeah. I hope this is this isn't too touchy. But I mean, but I saw it you're on fine. your Instagram, so it's probably public. You you uh, were on house arrest, or you had an ankle bracelet yeah. for a while. What yep. what happened there? That was great. I mean, honestly, I, I I hear people sometimes in recovery say things like, "I if I could thank the cop that arrested me, I would." Uh, I won't go that far because <laughs> I'm not really into the police, but. I will say that that last arrest absolutely fucking straightened me out. I got a DUI um, after rehab and everything when I was supposed to be sober. Um, and I was in when and out. This? Um, I don't know. Let's see. I, over about a year ago or so. Yeah. Um, maybe more than that now. I can't really remember. My, I'm so bad at remember. I, this is probably another, all my addiction and shit, and insanity aside, another reason I divorced probably is because I am like, terrible at remembering timelines of things and <laughs> it doesn't bode well when you're like trying to impress your partner by you know right by being reliable hey, your birthday's wait what month again your uh, your lovely yeah. wife of uh three or four years however long I, whatever. I swear to god yeah. I, i'm often asked how long i was married and i do not know the answer to that question uh <laughs> hey, i'll have to ask her that one it could have been three years it could have been ten i'm not quite sure so um but yeah uh yeah, so I got this DUI and um, almost died, and I got I got in a really bad car accident. It fucking it sucked, and then uh, uh, confessed while I was in the hospital that I had drank, and the cop who was standing there just arrested me while I was in the hospital. You fucking asshole! But luckily, he did. Uh, honestly, it, it really did. That final DUI, getting that house arrest, really, really, really fucking straightened me out. I haven't drank since then. Um, that really, really straightened me out. So, um, I. Yeah, being on house arrest sucked. I mean, uh, but like, I understand that, like, in a, a white dude being on house arrest in suburban Nebraska doesn't have a whole lot to complain about in our um, judicial system. So sure. I'd prefer not to really try to get any sympathy points. I'll just say that it, you know, that ink, that, that just the loss of any freedom is a, is a drag and it's an illuminating experience. And it, it's, it was enough to really get me back. Going to AA, uh, <laughs> uh, right. doing my thing. Going to the uh, thing, the thing. <laughs> yeah, going, spending time in church basements, and uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it, it straightened me back out. It got me. I mean, I don't just do that either. I do all kinds of stuff. But uh, yeah, that got me straightened out and got me back on my good path that I have been on since then. And 
you know, it, uh, yeah, never, I don't know. I don't try to focus on the future, but I, I'm, you know, I'm feeling pretty right. good. Day at a time, as they say. They um, do. And honestly, that's helpful for me. I mean, the idea of doing anything or not doing anything for eternity. I mean, that's, I mean, why do guys cheat on their wives? You know, the idea of only fucking one woman for the rest of their life seems impossible. But if you don't think about it like that in the day to day, it's actually extremely nice to be partnered or whatever, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah, the idea of not drinking for the rest of my life is like too, you know, I mean, I don't want to think about doing or not doing anything for the rest of my life. I don't even like thinking about or not doing anything through the end of this year. Uh, you know, so anyway, yeah, one day at a time. Right. Living in the moment is uh, difficult, but paramount, you know? Absolutely. Um, what are some uh, takeaways from therapy and support groups that have really been the most helpful for you? Well, so yeah, living in the moment is clutch for me. I'm, I'm studying Buddhism now. I never mm. thought I would do this. I, in a quest to kind of define or understand my version of what a higher power is, this is no joke. On the same day I went and bought Robert Wright's book, Why Buddhism is True, and I bought a tarot deck. <laughs> and I'm just kind of fucking with Buddhism and fucking with the occult and like kind of just seeing where I land. I, I like the occult stuff, but that's... I have a friend who kind of went on a similar trajectory and Ben, who I was talking about earlier, he's gotten very into the occult. He's really into alchemy and like, uh, Aleister Crowley and all that stuff. And I, I think, I think all that shit's awesome, but, um, that's not, I, I, I might find it a bit more in for my taste of, I'm a bit more voyeuristic and novelty with it. Whereas the Buddhist stuff, I, I definitely am not calling myself Buddhist. Uh, I'm not sure I ever will, but I'm really enjoying, I, I enjoy it on two levels. There's like a nice surface level mindfulness. That's great. That, mm -hmm. that comes from studying. And so that would be like the takeaway that we were talking about. That you were asking about like a day to day thing of just focusing on the now, not, you can't change the past and you can't control the future and just being present. Um, and, th and that's a takeaway that I get from some of that stuff. Like that, that's going back to what I was saying at the very beginning about, um, being a helpful functioning person in my music community. Uh, I mean, that's, it's important to me to be, uh, I want, I want people to know that I'm reliable and that I'll help them. I, I, I one thing that I, I really like in about being a musician, especially now that I'm getting older is like helping usher in the next wave of young, talented people and making sure they know they have my support and I would do things. I want to help them out the way that I was helped out by older musicians when I was coming up. And, you know, I can't do that if I'm all fucked up and stuff. So staying sober and being in, being present in the moment, helping those people out, that's that's one takeaway for sure. Um, I guess something, another takeaway that I've, ha that I've had from, via all this new life change is maybe just um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd probably just leave it at that, actually. Yeah, just, just to be in the moment. I mean, really, just it's so easy to run away and, and worry about the future. And, and I, oh, you know, I, okay, okay. So I, I, the reason I'm a one-person band most of the time and do solo music is I'm a bit of a control freak. And I, this is a very common thing I hear with other addicts is like, you know, they, they, they kind of have a, a, a control, ish, control issues and stuff. And I've really, really learned over time to give up some of that control. I... For a really tangible, fun music-related example is for a while, uh, Dustin Wilburn was playing in my band. He was in Bright on Blue and WWZ and stuff. And he was playing in Shows the Rainbow, and he offered to design some tour posters for me. And I got this burning in the back of my head, and I was like, no, no, no I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Well, 
I suck at Photoshop. I'm colorblind and I have terrible vision. And in general, I don't, I'm not good at designing posters yet. I, and Dustin is, that's what he does for a living. He's a graphic designer. He's fucking incredible. Right. And so like at the time I didn't do that. And I, you know, I had to, I had to do it myself. It's part of my aesthetic. It's part of the thing people expect. But over time I've really learned. It's like the class, there's a certain uh, harmony in the world about giving up some of that control. Like I, I haven't done album art for myself in a long time. I mean, again, just this being a more practical example. And I love that collaborative process. I love working with artists who will help me out with that. And like, uh, giving up control in lots of in all sorts of situations uh, has led me to a, a newer, inner, more inner peace. Like, like kind of like what we we're talking about with sound engineers and stuff. It's like yeah. when I go to a show, I, but when I used to go to a show, I thought I had to control every aspect of it: the lighting, the posters, the sound, the opening bands, this and this and this. And now I see every event as its own process with tons of collaboration. And it it's not up to me to make it succeed, and it's not on me if it fails. It's like there's so many moving pieces and if i don't try to micromanage it and give everyone their space to to do their thing and be their creative wonderful self then we're all gonna do well and the event will be a success even if it's only on a success that we all had a good time doing our thing together then that then that's enough for me you know and i like that now and that's that is enough for me and and so i've, I've kind of learned to find peace with some of that and that's been really great Spiritualism is difficult. Uh, I think especially Very. for I, I think for a lot of people, but I, I think especially for for a guy like me and maybe a guy like you, because I personally. Um, I'm very, you know, scientific minded and I'll roll my yes. eyes anytime somebody mentions uh, astrology and, and, oh, that's such an airy same, thing to say. And I'm same. like, shut the fuck up. And I'm making the jerk off motion. And, yes, you know, you. like I, um, I, I, I really have so much kind of a hard science uh, leaning in, in the yes. way I look at the world that um, anything sort of woo-woo, spiritual, God, churchy, anything like that is really difficult for me to digest. However, uh -huh. Buddhism is incredible because yes. Buddhism is kind of not really a religion. It's a <laughs> oh boy, it's, yes. a, it's a very old, old, ancient mindfulness practice. It's a it's a it's some somebody a long time ago, thousands of years ago, somehow understood the workings of the human mind and consciousness and, and perception. Somehow, perception's a yeah, big thing with Buddhism. Somehow yeah. understood the difference between like a mind and a brain and, and yes. thoughts and feelings and, and all of that stuff. And, and you know, it's seen as a religion because it's applying it to your life is so transformative and feels so transcendental. Um, but if you look at modern applications of psychology, which are very, you know, I wouldn't say hard science, but they're, you know, it's a soft science. Psychology is a soft yeah, science. Yeah. You can't actually measure feelings, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But DBT and um, CBT and mm -hmm. ACT, acceptance commitment therapy, um, are all based in mindfulness and borrow a lot from Buddhist practices. Yes. And, yes. you know, especially like the idea that I've, I've been really mulling around lately. Because uh, I've been studying DBT with a group, um, uh, the idea of radical acceptance, 
which is nice, very, yes. very difficult for a lot of people to it, understand. Uh, it's especially a little in such right a, now. Yeah, well, especially in such with a... With cancel culture and with stuff. Cancel culture and acceptance and there's there's that aspect of it and there's i guess just especially with kind of like young younger artsy millennial types there is this Mm -hmm. social justice aspect where you are supposed to want to fight for a better world that's what i was yes and there is only so much you can control ultimately you know and yes and so that's the issue is letting go of the things that you can't you can't get other people to uh, wear a mask or give a fuck about COVID. You can't get other people to um, see eye to eye with you about guns or uh, uh, right. about trans people. You're just going to have to try and be nice on your own and control what you can control. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's. Yeah, it's really hard to fucking let go of. Did you see everything everywhere all at once? I yet? did. Yeah. Wonderful. Huh? Just be kind. I mean, I, that was really painted in there. I thought it was beautiful. Um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I have a friend who, uh, well, I mean, he's my friend still, but he's going through a pretty rough time and he's kind of been canceled and he's a social pariah now uh, yeah. for um, uh, a, f- a physical abuse situation with a woman. And I did not block him on all social media. And someone called, someone hit me up and was like, hey, you need to block him because you know, he, he, he did this thing. And I was like, look, I don't associate with that person. I'm not like calling them to hang out. I'm not doing collaborative art with them. But if that person got a hold of me and said, Hey, Darren, I need to quit doing drugs. I, this person, and I, I don't want to overstep, but I think this person has a little bit of a drug problem, right. you know? And I'm like, if they, if they wanted to, if they wanted to get a hold of me and say they need help getting off drugs, I would want to <clears throat> be able to be a lifeline for them because I, I, I needed that in my life. I, I didn't go so far as to get canceled and do anything horrific like that. But I mean, I was certainly a monster. I was a monster. I, I, I had I have friends that right. no longer associate with me, you know, so it's like I definitely push people away. And so it's like I, I want so that that's that's sort of in line with some of that radical. I've read about some of that radical. Acceptance stuff. I mean, it's like I, I'm I'm not going to cut the I'm not going to cut that person out of my life. And it's not because. I think they're cool or this or that. It's like, I, it's important that, that if they want to get right, they know that there's an easier, softer path. And like, I can, I want to be able to at least do my little part to try to help them find that, you know, I've been listening to and reading this. uh, She's a writer and a podcaster. Her name's Clementine Morgan. Um, Mm -hmm. And she talks a lot about uh, quote unquote cancel culture from the the perspective of the left. She's like a full on like anarcho communist, you know, like full on real far left. Um, But she's also very against, you know, like you said, like the the sort of online mobbing cancel Mm -hmm. campaign against this person, you know, was harmful in this or that way. And so we have to make sure that they are a social pariah. We have to cut off all of their, uh, social and, uh, and, and financial opportunities and completely cut them out. And her, uh, her, uh, uh, I don't know. Statements is that that's not how we fix people. That's not how that, that person is only going to get worse and only going to continue to harm people if they are 
if they feel like they're completely alone and they don't have anybody to turn to. And if they do, like you said, with your, your acquaintance who might one day want to be like, Hey man, I, I need help. I don't want to be this guy anymore. And I know that I've fucked up and that everybody hates me, but like, I need to get my life right. Slamming the door on their face isn't gonna fucking help them like yeah do you yeah. like do people want to see an end to this kind of behavior or not like it's right it, it doesn't mean that you have to be okay with what they did and i have I, you know friends and acquaintances who you know yeah have had to uh reckon with some shitty things that they have done in the past yeah and I have had people who have pressured me to stop talking to them or stop being friends with them. And it's a weird position to be put in because it's just like, I don't like it. Yeah. I didn't, A, I didn't do any of that shit. So I don't know why you're <laughs> lumping me in with them. And mm-hmm. B, they clearly aren't doing well and need somebody yeah. to be like helping them out. And like, obviously, the person that they hurt takes precedence and they need triage you know sort of first but like yeah the person who did the thing is obviously not in a great spot either i think that there's a certain it makes me think a couple things but one one major thing is in america even people who think they're immune to this because they're good natured and and uh and and, and whatnot they there's an american there's an exceptionalism that every american has uh just rooted in our in our souls because uh we we just think that like we're the exception to every rule you know i, I my mom when she drives she parking lots she just cuts across all the lanes diagonally just driving. she doesn't and she almost got in a car accident the other day i'm like well see that's why you don't fucking do that well it doesn't matter if i do it but you know it's like it's right. like so so like so so in, to go to this example it's like yeah someone fucks up and their uh, their abuser or their the the person who's abused or the victim in this situation might agree with what we're saying right now that in general you don't need to cut everyone out blah 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 but then when it happens to them all of a sudden they're on the war path and and i mean i'm not dogging them or, or saying that you know you know this is so tough to talk about we're yeah, really yeah i know this is t- this is but, again uh, but, like every time this stuff comes up and this has come up several times on this show because you know yeah. there's a podcast about mental health well, and bad behavior me, so like every time i'm like yeah i feel like i'm handling a grenade because i feel like i'm going to okay. say the wrong thing and sound like jordan peterson yeah. or some shit like oh cancel cultures are yeah, got out of control and blah 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 like but i'm yeah, not I saying think that, that then, that exceptionalism comes in the form of like, yeah, we don't need to cancel everyone and ruin the rest of their lives over something. But this guy did this to me. And so I think that should happen to them, you know? And it's like, well, okay. Like that, you know, and and then, and then that person's circle of friends, it's like, he, he broke my friend's heart. Well, that, you know, that sucks, but that, that's still just this one incident. And that, and so I think some of that is kind of has that American exceptionalism painted on it. But, and I, and and just cause I have to say that I also want to say though, that, cancel culture and all this stuff that's happening and, and, and all these movements, they're not perfect. There, there are flaws in them as we're, as we're describing right now, yeah. but I do overall love that they're happening and think they are pushing us towards a much better society, a much more uh, mindful, co- uh, feeling conscious society, but they're, they're in their infancy. This is a new thing where we're talking about feelings on the news. We're talking about feelings in the open. I mean, this is only, as far as human humans go, this has only been happening in the past like five or six years. We've been doing this, and we, you know, so so we're we're just figuring it out. And we're, we're so some people will get mad. And they're like, "This is going too far." 
Well, I'm not going to say whether or not I think this or that goes too far, but like that doesn't mean it's permanent. You know, like we're just figuring out like maybe maybe like like, yeah, maybe sometimes some people get canceled too hard. Let's just say as a general idea, maybe that's happened. But like that doesn't mean that like 10 years from now, that's how it's going to be. Like this is all starting great lines of thought and great conversation. So even when it fucks up and, and it's unfortunate that it does, like it's just, it's still like I'm still here for it. And that's that's another reason if you want to talk about another takeaway I've had, it's I don't fucking voice my opinion unless asked. And even then, <laughs> sometimes I don't voice my opinion. This is that we're in a situation here where we're talking, but like, oh my God, I used to fight and fight and argue with feminists online about cancel culture and stuff. But this is when I was doing a bunch of blow and I was totally wrong about everything. I was completely fucking wrong. And I've had a chance to make an amends with one of these women uh, recently. And she was like, dude, everyone loves you. Like that was, we all knew you were just like trying to figure out your place. But like, I, it haunted me for years fighting with these women. Like I felt, I feel so bad about it because you know, it was like, I was like, you know, I just didn't see it was all happening new and I just didn't understand what was going on. And I was I was a little more obtuse to it all. And I really regret it. But but, um, you know, like, I guess, yeah, like now, I mean, I even if I feel like I'm on the right side of something, I just yeah. keep my fucking mouth shut because it's it's just I don't know the hell the whole the road to hell is paved with good intentions, baby. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I agree <laughs> that like it it is a good intention calling out abusers and um, and making sure that people are held accountable, especially in high echelons of power and gatekeeping and, and just pointing mm. out <coughs> that whole, just the whole structure of that system, especially in most every aspect of the art and entertainment business, how it's um, oftentimes very like, powerful, older, abusive white men at top. Yes. And, and yeah. you know, like, Everything that we've been uh, has been sort of brought to light in the culture over the last uh, 10 or so years. Um, but, yeah, like, I I do think that um, – how do I put this? Are you there? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, touched, okay. I accidentally touched somebody on my phone. It's okay. Um, I do think that um, – some some mindfulness in that in this arena of discussion would mm -hmm. go a long way because I think that uh, in order to improve the world, we're going to have to engage with people who we don't agree with. We're going yeah. to have to have hard discussions with people who um, are adamantly opposed or or aren't understanding or are being, you know, kind of obstinate. And in order to do that, you have to build those skills and have to recognize the emotions rising up in yourself when you're getting frustrated with somebody who you're having yeah. an online argument with and who you want to just dunk on because it'll feel really yeah. good <laughs> and you got a really yeah. good one loaded, but it's not going to solve it. And to understand that in yourself that like, okay, I'm just another person who's kind of also just going through this weird, bewildering dream of consciousness and being a, a human. And um, I have to, I, I'm getting mad. I can feel, you know, the, the my amygdala reacting and all, all these like brain reactions. Mm -hmm. And I need to just like take a breath and practice on my interpersonal skills and 
remind myself internally what it is I'm trying to convey to them and how I can convey that to them. And, and, you know, so dealing with people who don't agree with you and dealing with people who, um, have done something bad or wrong is going to have to be a part of the equation if we're going to improve the human condition at all. Yeah. I think that like we are in a, in a state right now where we're like culturally in like a state of like reparation where it's like, we've realized to oversimplify it that they, but, but truthfully that pretty much white men have, uh, inappropriately and for no for no good reason held reign for far too long and now we're in the process of dismantling that patriarchy and that white privilege and those are good things to do and and so right now though the 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 tone of a lot of that process seems to be about just people wanting like like okay like like a real tangible example i could think of is it's become like when i'm booking my tours now it's like you can't have you generally can't have a bill that's all men, and that's fine and that's good and I like that. And in general, I never like that. I mean, I've I've always wanted to uh, have right. female artists on my shows, and that's great. But my but it's become really taboo to have a bill that's all men, and and it's like that's that's great and that's cool that we're like thinking like that now. But in the next wave of 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 uh, what am I trying to say of awareness that comes is going to have less to do with. I think telling people that like creating any sort of rules like that, you know, and more just about a general, like learning to for everyone to just deal with having to deal with each other. I, I, I think, you know, you're out there now, but uh, you know, being from Nebraska, you have a, we, I, and I, I said this all the time when I lived in New York, you know, it's like people, people in New York would ask me like, well, do you have friends back home that are like conservative Christians? And it's like, yeah, I'm from fucking Nebraska. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you? If I didn't, if I wanted to have no friends that were like that, like that would. I mean, that's to be insane out there. I mean, you, they're you know, like of course there are good people that are conservative Christians, and like you just have to like balance that one thing that you don't like about them. Even if you know, even if you think in one way that defines entirely who they are or something, it's not. That's not true. My that maybe maybe my absolute closest friends want to align themselves like that, but I have friends that are conservative Christians, and it's like. That's a, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, I've learned to just figure out other, th you know, other ways yeah. you're going to rehab or, or in treatment and stuff. You know, you don't talk politics. I made really close friends with a guy in rehab. We were absolute thick as thieves, best friends and got out of rehab, added each other on Facebook, found out the dude was a Trumper, which is very uh, opposite right. of my beliefs. And it was just like my world came crushing down when i saw that you know and it took me it's we, we're still okay friends but it took me a long time like at first i was like fuck that guy and i called him up one time when i was back drinking and was like yelling at him for being islamophobic and he's like dude i'm not islamophobic what the fuck are you on <laughs> you know and i was just like yeah. but anyway yeah i don't know like i think right. that next wave of awareness is going to be a little less about uh you know once once we once we've done a lot of dismantling i think the next wave is going to be more about forgiveness and about compassion and understanding I don't know when when it'll happen. I don't know if we'll maybe yeah. we'll see it in our lifetime. It's lifetime, hard, but man. I don't know if we'll it's see so it. hard. Like, yeah. as I keep, you know, like as much as I, you know, try and stay on the, you know, a uh, very Zen Buddhist path and mm. uh, and 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 keep myself in check, I still will have a bad day, and it's still like it's still really hard to get on the internet yes. and hear about you know like school shootings and then people yeah. like. 
it's designed to make you fucking crazy. And you like, yes. you, you have an opportunity to like scream at Ted Cruz on Twitter and you want to so bad, but you know that that's not going to help. And that's just feeding it's, more of the yeah. dark side in you. And like, it's just it, like I, the past couple of weeks, especially, um, or this past week yeah. with the shooting has just been like, I, a, a lot of that, uh, like kind of, um, Hey man, all good. Like, you know, we're all just sort of people and, mm-hmm. and we're all just sort of figuring it out. Sort of like went out the window and I was just like, no, man, people I hear that. these yeah. people like, I'm so fucking mad. So like, I still fall back into it. It's just a matter of like, yeah, trying to like pull back as quick as you can. Wait, I have a friend from Omaha who's uh, sober now. He used to be a really bad alcoholic and I think he did a bunch of hard drugs too. And he doesn't uh, have like a, thing he does he's just he quit cold turkey he's what he's one of those people that just quit but one thing i know about him that he's talked about uh, he's mentioned to me uh once or twice is he does not engage in political discussion on the internet anymore and he's like i can't he's like i'll start drinking again and uh, he's and he has years of sobriety he's he's three or four years sober now four or five maybe and uh yeah he's like i i can't do it and i will say when i I used to love nothing made me happier than doing a bunch of cocaine and fighting with old grandmas on the Lincoln Journal star comment section <laughs> about abortion or Bush or Trump or whatever the fuck is going on. You know? Oh my God. I used to love it. Cause I got to be so clever and mean and make fun of something that I didn't like. And there was really no, uh, you know, consequence for it. Cause they're just, you know, grandmas and Gretna or whatever. But uh, anyway, but I, I've now learned in sobriety, um, that when I start to do that, if I start to feel that way, like I try not to even read those comments anymore. But if I do, if I if I start to find myself like, oh, I'm going to post this really clever burn and dunk on this person and really fucking drag him. It's like I realized that in itself is a form of mental relapse for me. It's not the same as drinking. It's not the same as going out and doing drugs. But it is the it's a start down that path for me. It's a it's a it's a the start of me. It all is going to go back to what I was talking about at the beginning, me letting myself become that parody of myself that that letting my ego letting my letting letting me go and dive in so deep into my ego that i i lose myself into this character that i'd prefer to become and there's no easier way to do that than and like on facebook where you're already putting up a facade you know mm-hmm. no you know uh i i think that every everybody in is uh putting on some level of performance every time they leave their house or every especially if they play music like uh, even the most authentic, genuine dude, Bob Dylan or, you know, Woody Guthrie, to some level is an actor when they're performing on stage. It's just that you can't help it. And I mean, we're all doing that on Facebook. We're, you know, and it, it's just the nature of it. And so anyway, for me to for me to start to go down those holes is, is incredibly unhealthy. And uh, yeah, like you said, the word Zen, I, I really try to maintain that. I was I for me, it, it, when I was talking about the hard the hard work I have to put in to stay sober, a big part of that includes a mindfulness routine that just includes not engaging with stuff like that and just just trying to man i guess that's what we're part of radical acceptance you know it's just like just um not engaging in those ways because that's that's just the first step towards me becoming a narcissist or letting my narcissism take over do you um meditate or have like uh any type of uh like a, a a prayer ritual or mantra or, or list of gratitude or something that you like to go through, like kind of in the morning while you're getting your bearings, you wake up and you're like kind of back into consciousness and you have to kind of c- calibrate. Um, is that something that you practice? 
No, I, I wish I did. I, I need to start. I know I will start that in the next year. I know it's around the corner of things that uh, one of my advisors in life is going to have me start doing. I um, I haven't got there yet. I meditate, I, but not in the morning. I, I know a lot of people do gratitude lists in the mornings, and that those people seem to be pretty happy, and I, I, I like that idea. I just haven't gotten in the practice of doing anything like that. I, I, I don't want to blame it on this, but I'm really bad at sleeping. I usually just sleep for about two hours at a time. Wow. And just that's just my thing. I do two hours of sleep, then work for a while, then two hours of sleep. It just it doesn't, it doesn't have to really to do with day or night or anything. I just kind of like, I never I never sleep for like a big chunk of time all at once anyway. So my idea of like waking up in the morning and starting my day doesn't quite exist right now, unfortunately. Right. Uh, that's part of just like getting ready for, I'm booking European tours and American tours simultaneously. And so everything's just on different clocks and it's all fucking stupid. Um, but, the, but I do meditate. Um, you know, from time to time, I really enjoy that. Uh, more often than not, uh, unless it's a group meditation, it ends with me masturbating. But I do, <laughs> um, I do enjoy it. I, I, I found um, some comfort in it, and some, and some. You know, I, I mean, I would absolutely love to do like a Vipassana retreat or something like that. I think that would be so fucking cool. Yeah. Have you done one? Um, I haven't done any meditation retreats. I've done, mm -hmm. I've, I've dabbled in some meditation. Um, there's a group here that I've kind of been in and out with uh, called Dharma Punks. Um, yeah, cool. In, in that's New York. Cool. That's, that's very like, he describes himself as a secular Buddhist. He's like covered in tattoos and he's a sober guy. Yeah. But he's, he's like from the punk scene and uh, is very kind of. You know, he's, he's, he's like as kind of no nonsense, like not real like woo woo. Uh, yeah, a, wait, that guy's a big singer get. in a band, right? I don't, I don't, okay. I don't know. I don't think so. His name's Josh Corda. Um, okay, okay. Yeah. There's um, someone else I know that does a, that's a hardcore singer that's like everything you just said could have described them to a team. Right. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do the Dharma recovery stuff. I guess I'll just say it. If, if, if for some reason that's inappropriate, you can bleep it or whatever. No, but okay. uh, yeah, I do like those, I do those Dharma recovery meetings. But in Lincoln, there's only one. There's two a week. They just started the second one. But um, I have a prior obligation during one of them. So I only go to one a week. But that's that's one of my things I do. I do like that Dharma. And we do a group meditation at the beginning of every meeting, which is really cool. A, guide, a group guided meditation. And uh, and. That's never turned into group mastertation, which is great. And then, um, oh boy, <laughs> cancel him. And then, uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I like those Dharma meetings. They're cool. It's not, uh, I think even if I lived somewhere where I could do them five or six days a week, I still would prefer my current thing. I, I, I'm a 12-stepper there. I'll just yeah. put the band off and say it. I, I enjoy that a lot. That's, my, that's where I get, to quote a friend of mine, that's where I get my bread buttered. But I do love the Dharma recovery meetings and, I mean, right. for me, I'm so new into Buddhism and so so new learning about it that like any time I can hear people smarter than me talk about Buddhism, I'm just like excited because I I'm I just want to I'm just like I I'm dying to learn more. Like any any wisdom that anything I can glean where it gives me a little more insight into Buddhism, I'm so interested in because Buddhism for me is like it's touching me the same way like quantum mechanics did when i first heard about that or like just like with well, the first time you like really think about like like for me a, a big trippy thing with me is like dinosaurs i think about the idea that for a hundred million years dinosaurs right. ruled the earth like when you try to qualify how long of a time it was that cold-blooded lizards ruled the earth it's a very psychedelic like impossible to grasp thing infinity it's a, it's essentially to, try to figure out the difference between a hundred million and infinity and, and let me know when you when you can explain it to right. me but so 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 anyway so like 
uh, yeah, like a lot of the Buddhist stuff. You know, I love stuff. I, I, I'm drawn naturally to uh, things that have a lot of paradoxes in them, mm-hmm. where things that will say one thing and then say another that goes right against it, but you're supposed to believe them both. Like <laughs> some people, you know, it's like yeah. some people right away, they're just like, well, that's bullshit then. It's like, no, there's still something there. That's, yeah, it's yeah, like, that's, that's what it is. You got, the, I, I like to embrace those ideas and at least try to figure, try to make sense of it. Because like you were saying, like, as the soft sciences and, and brain sciences and neurological stuff is catching up, it's like, uh, I don't, have you read Why Buddhism is True by Robert Wright? I have not. I, okay, I think you'd really like it because this is essentially, he, he's, not, he's not a Buddhist, and, or he, and he wasn't, when he, especially when he wrote his first book, he didn't know anything about Buddhism, and he wrote this book about perception and, and the mind, and it became a big influence uh, on the Wachowskis when they wrote The Matrix, mm. and they cited it as one of their biggest influences, and as I'm sure you know, the Matrix has been considered a Dharma movie. People, Buddhists love The Matrix. They think it's, you know, all about, you know, the idea of what is reality. What, you know, is right. this real just because it's in front of you. And so Robert Wright then went on to study Buddhism and wrote this book called Why Buddhism is True. <laughs> and it essentially is kind of what you were saying earlier. All these things that we're finding out about the way the mind works essentially are all in line with the Dharma and the teachings of the Buddha. And it's so... Uh, again, I still struggle with calling anything spiritual. I, I find the, the teachings of the Buddha to be beautiful and philosophical and deep, but I'm also finding them just align with what doctors are fucking saying. So it's it's pretty fascinating. So yeah, you, you have um you got a, uh, you find spiritualism through through mindfulness and through mm-hmm. music. Um, do you find mindfulness in um, exercise or uh, nature or anything else? Absolutely, nature exercise. I do. I'm I'm on a big weight loss journey now. When I got out of rehab and everything, my weight got up to 420 pounds. Wow. Uh, I'd like to get back to my cocaine weight, but just without <laughs> the aid of cocaine, I, I don't know that it's possible. Uh, but I'd like to get back. I have. I yeah. I'm I'm doing good. I've I've lost 70 pounds since Thanksgiving. I'm sort of plateaued, but but anyway, I don't need to talk about all that. I uh, don't find mindfulness through exercise. Exercise still feels like a chore. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I. I love nature. I love walking. I, I love riding city buses. And I, I've always been, I love camping and being out in nature, but I also love just being outside in cities. I find, I don't find a huge separation. That's why I love living in Manhattan, dude. Like, you know, people, there's people, some of my hippie or Wookiee or friends, they're, they're, they don't like being, you know, oh, it's too big city, blah, blah, blah. But like, I don't, my, the way my brain works or whatever, I don't see like, the city, I mean, it's organic. It's made of yeah. the earth. It, you know, it's not a spaceship that crash landed in, uh, you know, it's, it's, no, it's, it, it's, it's, a, a, it's an, it's, it's an ecosystem like anything else. It's, yes. Very there's, well. There's and harmony so I, on I, the I subway, that, you know? And, and so I just, I like, I, I, my mom thinks it's crazy how much I like riding the buses. Like uh, the Lincoln, the, talk about Amtrak earlier. The Lincoln city buses are a fucking joke. Like <laughs> to go Somewhere that would take me t- 10 minutes to drive. It's like an hour and a half on the buses because yeah. you got basically Lincoln has one central bus hub. So if you if your bus doesn't go right from there to there, you got to go down to the bus hub and then catch it across town. It's so dumb. But anyway, uh, so like, but she, and so she's like, why would you, I'll give you a ride, you know? And it's like, no, I don't mind. But it's like that to me, I find a lot of peace and common in there. And, and and sometimes I'll I'll describe that to somebody and they'll be like, yeah, it's fun to people watch. It's like. Yeah, I guess that's kind of it. But as I've learned about uh, the hedonic decline, I know that the one thing in life that always has that return of that hit of dopamine that we're all constantly searching for is just the novel experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if this is a healthy thing or not, but I mean, for me, 
every time I leave the house, there's it's some form of novel experience. I mean, just getting on the bus and going to the coffee shop and sitting there does does hit me in that way. It's like I I don't get that decline with that, where it's like I, I I don't you know it's not like like to me that's always a new experience. Even if I'm just going to the coffee shop, I'm still feeling like the the, the circumstances are changing. The weather's different. It's not the same day. It's a different bus driver. My foot hurts today. It didn't hurt yesterday, so I'm walking on the ball on my foot. This and this, you know, it's like these things like create this like new experience every time and so i just enjoy um yeah i just enjoy like very simple things all of a sudden have become very profound and very uh very enjoyable for me man i'm happy for you it seems like you've like really uh hit a good stride and it's really cool Thanks, to see that yeah. you're, you're you know you're you're doing some cool shit and you're on your grind thank man. you um i'm feeling awesome I, I i do feel like i've i've clicked with sobriety in a new way where maybe in the back of my mind before i I didn't know I was going to drink again, but I certainly had a different mindset before than I have had these past six months, for sure. What do you think is different this time? I, there's a there's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot called rigorous honesty, and that's that's a big thing with me. I think I don't I don't want to sit here and sing the praises of the twelve step program. Whatever works for whatever whoever is great. Uh, it's it's fine, but for me, I do find that. Instead of trying to um, fit the 12-step idea into my life, but do it the way I want. Like the first time I went to AA, I thought, hey, this is cool, but I'm still going to smoke weed, you know? And that's fine. Right. Some people, I, dude, there are people that do that and they go to AA that I'm friends with and still smoke weed and that's fine. I, I don't judge them and don't care, whatever. But like, but my point is like, like for me, what works and what's working is just kind of giving up some of that control that I crave so much and just kind of doing things the way they're supposed to work. Like, like a lot of people say, well, AA isn't for me, but it's like, and that's fine. And again, God, I shouldn't be talking about any of this, but it's like, for me, it's like, if I just give up that part of myself and just like work the program the way it's meant to be worked, I'm having good success with that. And I, and I mean that giving up that control, you could say, but you know, you're giving up part of yourself, but it's not that. And every day, it, that's part of my mindfulness routine is to just remember it's like like I I need to do this like it's uh, I was downtown the other day and I was going to miss a, a meeting that I regularly go to and uh, instead of just using that as an excuse to skip my meeting I found a downtown meeting and went to it <laughs> and I, you know like that I, I could sneak away for an hour but I couldn't sneak away to go across town and so I went to this meeting that I'd never been to that I didn't really like but like I wasn't there because I was feeling itchy, like I was going to drink. I didn't, you know, need to hit a meeting. It's like I wanted to be there because that's part of what I do now. It's like I want to, this is, I want to incorporate healthy practices into my life in a way beyond just like how they're good for myself. They've got to be good for my whole community and for my city and for my family and my friends and everyone, you know, for the world. That's, that radiates out. That can, that that has the potential to radiate out into infinity, in my opinion. And that's you know what I'd rather project out into the world. So that's what I do. Hell yeah, Darren Keen, thank you so much for being on the show. This was fucking thank great. You. Uh, let's do plugs. You got stuff you want to plug? Let's talk about your music projects sure. and, and all that stuff. You're touring and all. Let's that. open up the plug bag. Uh, yeah, I am touring a bunch. I'm touring the West Coast in uh, June here in a couple weeks. I'm leaving in a week, I guess. And that'll be fun. And then I'm touring the East Coast in August. I will be in your beautiful city, uh, doing a couple of days in New York and then touring around the whole East Coast. And uh, that's gonna be awesome. October, I'm doing some touring uh, down 
to New Orleans, through Texas, down to Florida. And then the end of the year, I'm going to Europe. I'm going to spend my 40th birthday and my one year of sobriety day, if I make it that far. Uh, you know, again, can't, can't predict the future. But uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to spend that in, um, in my favorite venue in the world, in Switzerland. I'm really excited about that. And I've got records coming out. Uh, I just had a record come out on Orange Milk Records, which is a super fucking cool label that I'm super super excited they still work with me they've stuck with me through thick and thin as i've been a, a lunatic and uh and then i got a new new thing coming out on orb tapes which is kind of seminal midwest noise label that i i'm very honored to be working with it's really cool that these these people i you know i don't i i kind of struggle to fit in with a lot of labels and stuff because they um yeah and oh and another one last thing and then i'll shut up i i, I got a single coming out with a singer named kindora and it's coming out on a, a brooklyn label called house of feelings that is sort of a, a DFA style, like new disco label. And I'm very fucking stoked about working with them. So uh, yeah, well, I got a lot going on. Amazing. I'm, I'm going to try and uh, uh, hit you up when, when you're out here in, in New York. Yeah, I'd love to see you. It'd be really cool. Sounds good, man. Thank you once again to Darren Keene for being on the show. Go check out his work. Uh, he's a funny guy and a good musician and does all kinds of shit. He's just a good, positive internet presence. So no matter where you are, check him out. Nebraska natives. Nebraska pride, I guess. I don't know. I don't really believe in civic pride, but there is something cool about talking to people from your hometown, especially when your hometown is something, a place so over, kind of overlooked, you know? We get a lot of that out here. The flyover states. Oh, what do you, what is it, Nebraska? Is it just farms and shit? Yeah, so what? Shut up. Anyway. I'm Brad Pearson. You can follow me at Bradical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can follow the show at Selfworst on Instagram. Get some updates about the show. Know more about the show. Link to the show. You can DM me. You can, uh, you can, you can, uh, post this in your stories, screenshot, post it in your stories, tag me. That'd be very nice of you. Help, you know, spread the word, rate and review on iTunes and, and Spotify. Do what you can. Help me out. If you can't contribute financially, patreon.com slash self-worst. I understand. I'm broke too. So just, you know, spread the word. That's how you do positive change on the internet. You spread positivity. You don't do a yell. You don't do a mean comment. You do a, hey, check this out. I think you would like this. Positivity. See what I'm saying? I'm trying my best to be positive. And it really uh, feels like flexing a muscle. Don't know how long I can hold this position. But we're trying. Okay, uh, is that all? Uh, email the show, selfworst at gmail.com if you want. Nobody really does, but that's fine. Um, music is by Shay Bartell. Thank you, Shay. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, uh, I gotta find a better sign off. <laughs>